0: Well, it's good to have all of you back uh, with us this afternoon. Um, We're continuing our study in 1 Samuel. We're in chapter 14 uh, this afternoon. Chapter 13 showed us um, a lot about Saul. We've been learning a whole lot of things about Saul and his character, especially in these last few chapters. Um, And and in chapter 13, which we discussed last week, we saw Saul losing his dynasty. Samuel's giving him the rebuke, um, giving him... This, this challenging telling him what it is that God's revealed to him. And he says uh, in verse 13 of chapter 13, that he says this due to Saul's disobedience. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept thou kept that which the lord had commanded thee so in the middle of chapter 13 samuel's giving this warning to saul and tells him that your your kingdom is no longer going to be your families your dynasty your lineage will no longer inherit the throne because of your disobedience and not only are you going to lose it the one who will then gain it is a man who is actually after god's own heart kind of a second um, punishment in the sense of not only did Saul lose his his dynasty and the lineage and everything that would come with that, but he's then being told the person who's going to take it over has a heart for God. Kind of a, a twisting of the knife almost of, of telling Saul that your heart is not after God. And we see his character up to this point where he's very self-centered. Everything that he does is to bring glory on himself. So at this point, we've been watching Saul's character deteriorate. We've seen him to be... Um, lacking in patience greatly lacking in patience we see a great amount of unbelief and at the close of chapter 13 we are introduced to his son Jonathan he's introduced as this great military uh, leader a great warrior in chapter 14 the focus shifts from Saul for a time and shifts over to Jonathan which is where we find ourselves this morning before we get in uh, to, to the chapter 14 let's pray Father thank you for today thank you that we have another chance to open up your word we thank you that As we go through this chapter here in 1 Samuel, that we're able to to realize yet again how important it is that we're obedient to you. How important it is that that our goals and our motivations and our our reasons for doing everything is to bring you glory. Not to glorify ourselves, not to make ourselves known, but to make you known. Father, I just pray that as we read through your word this morning, that this would be true uh, for each and every one of us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 14 is an extremely long chapter. Um, there's 52 verses, and this morning, we're, this afternoon we're just going to be covering the first 23. Um, there's kind of a big break. Um, we're going to read the first 23 verses, and the next week we'll pick up and finish the chapter. Um, for sake of time and because of the, the depth of everything that's going on, I didn't want to keep you guys here until uh, Wednesday, as I was telling Pastor Ben. Because um, I have a tendency to do that even with three or four verses, so 52 is just... That's bad for everybody. Um, so let's pick up verses 1 and 2 again. First Samuel chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. We just saw recently in chapter 13, um, Saul's men leaving him and Jonathan beginning with a, a good military victory. Uh, verse 1, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over to the Philistine's garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. So it's already starting off um, with a level of intrigue for me that's very high as I read. Opening of chapter 14, I see a son doing something and not telling his father. Usually this tends to be a very bad idea. Whenever I would not tell my father something I was going to do, it generally was a bad idea. But we're seeing Jonathan going out and acting on his own, um, doing something yet again without telling his father, just as we saw in the previous chapter. Verse 2, And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree which is in Migron and the people that were with him were about 600 men Jonathan sees this opportunity he's wanting to go with his armor bearer to go and see this Philistine garrison he doesn't tell his father because where do we see Saul verse 2 tells us that the Saul is tearing he's hiding basically once again he's hanging back he's not actively doing anything he's with 600 men hiding uh, We saw in the previous chapter people even crossing a river to get away from fighting the Philistines. We see people with this great trepidation to fight. they're not completely sure that God is with them. they're afraid of the might of the Philistines and even Saul is hesitating and he's hiding under this tree. Saul is lacking faith yet again but we're going to see the difference between a father and a son and Saul who's the king who's supposed to be the leader, leading all of his people under God, is the one that's hiding, where actually Saul's son is the one going out and carrying forth the mission that God has given him. Verse 3, and Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. We're introduced to this man, Ahiah, Who is the whose lineage comes all the way from Eli, and we know um back in previous weeks talking about Eli and how that line was disconnected from the priesthood. So it's interesting to me as I read through this that Saul has a priest with him, but it's one from the line that's cut off. Not it's not Samuel that's right alongside of him. He has a priest who is from the rejected line of Eli, and we're gonna see his involvement here in a couple more verses. But once again, verse 3 makes it very clear that the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. At this point, no one has any idea that the king's son is missing. That, to me, is a surprise. How does the king's son, along with one other individual, just come up missing? How does no one know where they are? How do they leave without anyone knowing? Verses 4 and 5 give us a little bit of geographical context. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over under the Philistines' garrison... There was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other, Senna. We see this picture of these, these two great mountains and there's a passage by which they want to they go through over to the Philistines. The forefront of the one was situated northward over against Michmash and the other southward over against Gibeah. So we see this picture of these mountains and there's a passageway for them to travel through. Verse 6 And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. So we see Jonathan and we see the armor bearer we see them interacting, and Jonathan says, hey, let's go over to where these Philistines are. Let's go over to the land of the uncircumcised. Kind of a dig at them, kind of once again illustrating that they are enemies not only of Israel, but of God himself. And notice in verse 6, he says, For there is no restraint to the Lord to save us by many or by few. Jonathan understands that whether they are going to go into battle as two men up against four men or up against 400 men, that it doesn't matter. God is not restrained by numbers, that God can conquer any enemy, whether four or 400 or 4,000. Up to this point, we've already seen him do this, whether it was in Joshua or whether it was in the book of Judges. We see God with these great victories, irregardless of the size of the army. And the armor bearer tells him to do what is ever in thine heart and kind of gives him the indication of, and if you look around, I'll be with you. We see a great relationship here between Jonathan and this armor bearer of, wherever you go, I will go. I will be here with you. Verse 8, Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. Once again, it's another verse um, that as I read this, I I find it pretty interesting. I'm not a great military leader of any kind, but I've seen plenty of war movies. The whole point of going into battle and having this element of surprise is to be surprising. Not letting the enemy know where you're coming from. Not letting them know that you are on your way. And in verse 8, Jonathan, who we already know is this great warrior, says basically, oh, and by the way, armor bear, we're going to make ourselves known to them. We're going to let them see us. It's kind of this picture of jumping up and down, waving your arms, telling them where you are. Terrible strategy as I read through this. And again, if you're like me, you're really curious how this is always going to end up. So he tells them the plan, tells them what they're going to do. No surprise, and they're going to deliberately let themselves be seen. Verses 9 and 10. If they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, Then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. We see in these two verses, he's explaining the rest of his strategy of saying, if they tell us to wait, then we will wait here. But if they tell us to go up, that's a sign that the Lord is with us, that the Lord has delivered them into our hand. Kind of an interesting um, idea, but again, do do we see that Jonathan is trusting in the Lord? saying, hey, if they call us up to them, then we know that the Lord is with us. We can go with confidence. And if they say to wait, and then they will come to us, we will stay in our place and we won't go up to them. So there's already the parameter set. Basically, they're allowing what the enemy does to dictate their response. Jonathan is saying that however the Philistines respond will determine how he is going to react to it. But again, it's just an enormous amount of trust in verse 10. Simply hey, if they call us up, then we know that the Lord is with us. Once again, as we've seen throughout the Old Testament, we see these, these not necessarily conditions or requirements of God, but them knowing that if God does this, then we know that he is on our side. And again, he has confidence in it. Verse 11, And both of them discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered, Jonathan and his armor bearer and said come up to us and we will show you a thing and Jonathan said unto his armor bearer come up after me for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel so we just saw the conditions for their response in verses 9 and 10 and we see how the Philistines respond here in verse 11 and 12. Jonathan and the armor bearer are discovered the Philistines call up to them and Jonathan responds by telling the armor bearer okay God has delivered them unto us. It's basically a thumbs up and a, this is happening. This is great. God is on our side. Uh, Flip over to Joshua chapter 23, uh, just quickly, verse 10. Again, fully trusting in the Lord, regardless of the size of of the enemy, regardless of any situation, Jonathan is trusting that the Lord is going to deliver them. Uh, Joshua chapter 23, verse 10 says, One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you, as he hath promised you. We saw the promise in Joshua. We know that God will be fighting for them, and he's able to take this to heart in the understanding of the Lord is fighting for them. Once again, full assurance that that the Philistines have been delivered into their hand. Verse 13, And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer slew after them. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made, was about twenty men, within, as it were, half an acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. So we can look back to the previous verses, and we saw this idea of the mountains, and we see them, they're beginning to climb up this mountain, Jonathan first, the armor bearer coming up behind him, and as they're climbing up this this mountain, there's 20 men that are killed. You kind of get this interesting picture. I'm not a great mountain climber, you can tell. I'm superior in upper body strength, but I just don't climb mountains very much. They're climbing up, and they're having to do battle with swords while they're climbing up a mountain. Just a very interesting picture in that these 20 men are killed, Jonathan first, and anyone that's left after Jonathan fights them, the armor bearer comes by, and he kills them pretty much getting whatever is left. Did a little looking at it in this, this area that was covered, roughly about 200 feet, and there's 20 men, again, killed. So you would assume probably every 10 feet, there's an individual being killed. Just, just incredible that they're climbing up a mountain fighting these people. What would that have looked like if you're one of the Philistines, to see these men coming up to attack you? There's two men, and you've got plenty, even just your 20, your garrison there. Would you assume that you're going to lose this battle. Two men, and you have the higher ground. In any situation, you are going to win that. But yet they're climbing, they're fighting, they know that the Lord has delivered them into their hand, and they're acting upon it. They're being obedient, and they're trusting in the Lord. And we see in verse 15, And there was trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers. They also trembled, and the earth quaked, so it was a very great trembling. We see God moving. God enacts this, this supernatural, this earthquake, and there's trembling, there's confusion, there's fear. Every Philistine that was in this area was confused. There was a great amount of terror. It even says that they are trembled. There's trembling among them. Again, just imagine this picture of what it is that you're seeing that would cause you to be concerned. And I just find it interesting that At this point, the Philistines had already seen enough of what it is that the Israelites have done through God. And once again, they're seeing it. And if they had forgotten and they had been caught in their pride again, God once again revealed himself to be more powerful than any army. And they begin to tremble, which as we know is probably the right response um, to God. Verses 16 to 18, up to this point, We've seen Jonathan do something incredible. He's already defeated one garrison. Now he's up climbing mountains and, and killing another group of men. Again, no one else is aware of this aside from Jonathan and the armor bearer. Verse 16, we get back to Saul. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. Then said Saul unto the people that were with him, Number now and see who is gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So, verse 16 Saul's watchmen, they see everything going on. They see Philistines retreating and they see them leaving. And they're looking around, going, I don't know, well, who's missing? Because none of us are doing this. We're hiding. I'm hiding basically in a cave or under a tree. Uh, none of us are doing anything. We lost soldiers, everyone had already kind of left. So what, it is that, what is it that's going on? So they, he sets out for an investigation says, okay, number everyone in the camp. They gather everybody. They number them. And what is it that Saul finds? That Jonathan and his armor bearer are not there. Again, put yourself in the position of a parent. You're looking around and you're saying, okay, everyone's here. Then you get the report, oh, no, your son is gone along with his armor bearer, which not only means your son is missing, but it means he's probably fighting somebody too because he took his armor bearer with him. There's not an incredible amount of happiness that's going to that's gonna come over you at this point. There's going to be concern. So he finds out um, once again, as we saw in chapter 13, that Jonathan is acting on his own without permission of his father, not only his father, but the king. We see him sitting out on a military conquest without permission from his king. Verse 18 as we already know about Saul, Saul can't just sit by and let things be done without him uh, trying to claim credit, trying to do something. So verse 18, true to character. And Saul said unto Ahiah, bring hither the ark of God, for the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. So he's looking around, he says, my son is gone, his armor bearer is gone, Philistines are leaving, um, what should I do? Well, let's, let's get a priest and bring the ark, because we're going to do something. He doesn't want to sit by All of a sudden, he starts to get courageous now. He starts to want to do something. And his plan is to take the ark into battle. Uh, When we study chapter 4 and various other chapters um, concerning this, we know that the idea isn't just to have the ark to carry into battle as some sort of trophy. Um, The point of it was to actually take the Lord with you into battle, not just the ark. Uh, When the Philistines took it, they thought that when they claimed the ark, that they were going to be able to do wonderful things, as if they had some mystical magic box that was going to make them superior warriors to everyone. And what they quickly found out was that without the Lord, the ark was nothing. Verses 19 through 23. And it came to pass, while Saul talked unto the priest, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, withdraw thine hand. So the priest is doing Um, his duty, he's doing his ritual, everything that it is with the ephod, he's doing what it is that he's supposed to do. And Saul, true to character, once again is impatient. He starts to hear the Philistines being loud, everything going on, and he interrupts it and says, stop what you're doing. I'm going to make a decision now. Because all of a sudden Saul thinks that he can be a priest. This is just incredible to me that every time Saul chooses to do something on his own, in verse 20, And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a great discomfiture. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. So verse 20, we see that this this great amount of confusion is going on that as they begin to go into battle, there's great confusion among the Philistines once again. And what is it that they end up doing? They end up killing each other in this enormous confusion. We see this picture of Philistines not attacking the Hebrews, not attacking everyone else, but they're literally attacking one another. They're confused, they're terrorized, they're, they're worried about this power of the Lord that they're seeing, everything going on. And can you imagine this scene? What that would be like, your small army, once again, some of the people that had left Saul came back together, they gathered together for some, perhaps your one last fight. But to then to go into battle and to see the Philistines, this great army being confused and attacking one another, what would that look like to see? Do you look at that and say, "Wow, we've done a great job here today. I'm glad that Saul is our king, because look what Saul. Can do to these people look what Saul can do to our enemies there's no other place to look at that than other to say wow what is it that God is doing right now God's the only one that can do this Saul can't cause the Philistines to attack one another Saul was just hiding under a pomegranate tree 20 minutes ago this isn't what he what Saul is doing but Saul attempted to get the attention jumping out in front of whatever it was that God was doing that Jonathan was doing Verse 22, Likewise, all of the men of Israel which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over into Beth-haven. This picture of, of men, of these Israelites hiding, being afraid of the, the multitude of the armies of the Philistines, All of a sudden, sitting while they're hiding, to see the Philistines withdraw for their army to be leaving and to say, what is it that's going on? Someone must be doing something. It's not one of us. And they see that Jonathan and the armor bearer are missing. And they quickly realize that the Lord is with Jonathan, with the armor bearer. So they chase after them in battle, chase after the Philistines. And in verse 23, the Lord saved Israel that day. The Lord didn't save Israel because Saul was a great leader, because Saul chose to gather the people, because Saul wanted to take the ark into battle. In fact, pretty much everything that Saul did at this time was incredibly wrong. Not only poor leadership, but against everything that it is that God had wanted him to do. Everything that Saul wanted to do was for himself, but it's because of Jonathan. Because Jonathan trusted in the Lord. Jonathan set out, without his father's permission... To do what it is that the Lord had wanted him to do. Which is, which is ironic as it comes simply one chapter after we learn that Jonathan can never be king. It's not going to happen. Your, your sons won't be king. Your dynasty ends with you, Saul. And what we're also going to find out is that his reign ends much sooner than he even anticipated. Next week we're going to see what this victory that Saul is going to claim for himself what it does. He's going to make this, this very foolish oath, and we're going to continue to see his deterioration um, throughout the coming weeks. But once again, we see Saul being disobedient, Saul being impatient, Saul not trusting in the Lord, but trusting in himself and his own army, whereas Jonathan, who was one of two people, goes out with the, with the Lord, and all the Philistines, all the Philistines, they're able to be defeated because of that. And verse 23, it's an important point, it's something that's simple, and all of you already know this, but it doesn't say, so Saul saved Israel that day. Verse 23 says, so the Lord saved Israel that day. The Lord did it because he chose to, not because Israel deserved it. And isn't that a true picture of us, that Christ saved us, not because we deserved it, not because of anything that we had done, but because he chose to, because he loved us even though we're disobedient as well. Just an incredible picture, again, of redemption as we continue to see the Old Testament. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. We thank you for sending your Son. We thank you for the redemption that we have through Jesus Christ, and we thank you that each and every day we, we show to you that we don't deserve your love, that we don't deserve redemption, but we thank you so much that you've offered it to us, that all we have to do is trust in your Son, that we look to the cross and we honor and we worship you. God, I just pray that as we study this book of First Samuel, and as we continue throughout the Old Testament and continue opening up your word, that we understand that obedience is important, that you you want us to obey, that that we can have trust in you, that though things may seem dire, things may not look great, that we can trust in you through the hard times, that the Israelites saw this great army that they didn't ever imagine could be defeated, but through you they're able to be, and they're going to continue to be defeated. We thank you that we can have full confidence in you overcoming enemies. We thank you that your son conquered death. God, it's, just, it's incredible that we get to worship you today. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you all for coming next week. We'll finish up the chapter, and you are dismissed.